Hi, I'm Devin Person. This podcast is a ritual, is a time and space spanning magic ritual steering reality towards a slightly better future. As your wizard, I believe real magic requires trust and authenticity, which is why I'll never allow advertisers in our ritual space. But creating this ritual takes work, as well as a steady supply of veggie burritos and illicit drugs. If you'd like to help this podcast become slightly better, please take a moment to visit patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual. You'll get access to bonus episodes, monthly virtual gatherings, wizard ebooks, psychedelic playlists, and best of all, the warm, fuzzy feeling of making the world a more magical place. Thank you so much to all who have, do, or someday will support this ritual. I believe in you. Your magic is real. In 30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you've left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is a ritual. Luck was the first magic I consciously identified. I was a sophomore in high school when I began to notice how different people attracted different sorts of events. My girlfriend at the time, an emo girl with wild hair and great fashion, possessed that quintessential manic pixie dream girl charm. Wherever she went, weirdo artists and dreamy-eyed poets would fall out of trees and invite her to rooftop tea parties. And on the other end of the spectrum, my adorably stressed-out best friend manifested bad luck like it was a second job. Constant car problems, looming authority figures, accidents lurking behind every doorway. I kept trying to tell him if he relaxed a little, fewer bad things would happen to him, but he adamantly insisted that his constant stress was the only thing keeping worse luck at bay. We refer to this as a person's energy, their vibe, demeanor, or presence, but luck really sums it up quite nicely. Even among individuals of equal privilege, I've seen some approach life like a closed fist, while another is an open palm into which gold coins endlessly tumble. In my own subjective experience, I feel my luck swings both ways. Maybe I'm just by fortunate. I've had illnesses and accidents open doors to incredible serendipity, while at other times, lucky breaks brought me nothing but agony. Nowhere is this pattern more prevalent than when traveling. Freed from normal routines, I've hit high highs, spontaneous encounters with strangers on the street who promptly led me to an early morning rave in the middle of an urban forest. But I've also suffered the low lows of wandering around for days, fighting boredom and insecurity as I desperately waited to find a friend. Eventually, I crafted a set of three simple maxims to boost the odds of good fortune while out adventuring. The first is, put yourself in a place of possibility. 
Interesting encounters are less likely to find you alone in a hotel room than sitting in a park, going for a stroll, or even nursing a beer at a bar. The second is, don't worry if nothing happens. Putting yourself in a place of possibility is enough. Don't add the unnecessary pressure of trying to charm every passing stranger. Some nights you'll wander around, get tired, and head home, and that's just the name of the game. The third is repeat. If you find a bar with fun DJs or meet some interesting locals that invite you out again, double down. I've had many a night I thought led to nothing, only later to reveal itself to be a fantastic something when strangers who recognized me from two nights ago then decided to extend the invite to check out the magical garden behind the abandoned train station. Of course, my meager maxims are just one wizard's best guess at invoking Lady Luck. But our guest today, Dr. Christian Bush, has honed the art of summoning serendipity into a science. Dr. Bush is the director of the Global Economy Program at New York University's Center for Global Affairs, where he teaches on purpose-driven leadership, impact entrepreneurship, social innovation, and emerging markets. He's also a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics, the co-founder of Leaders on Purpose, as well as a founder of the Sandbox Network, a global community of young innovators active in over 20 countries. And if that wasn't enough, he's also the author of The Serendipity Mindset, The Art and Science of Creating Good Luck. I was lucky enough to learn about Dr. Bush's work thanks to a hot tip from Jason Depew, one of the incredible chaos mages helping steer the magic of this ritual through our Patreon. So Jason, thank you so much for that. And then, without any further ado, let's talk to Dr. Bush himself so we can all learn how to get lucky. Hello, Christian. Hello. Welcome to Ritual Space. Thank you so much for having me. I feel so lucky to have you here. Likewise. What's our magic word going to be? Meaningfulness. Ooh, meaningfulness. Okay, I like that. So on the count of three, one, two, three three meaningfulness what does meaningfulness mean to you i've been very inspired by victor frankl he wrote this wonderful book man's search for meaning and uh, mm-hmm. i had an experience early on in life you know a car crash that reminded me how quickly life can be over and so during that period i read a lot of, of victor frankl and it made me realize you know even in the in the toughest moments you can somehow try to imbue meaning and you know, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about serendipity, but serendipity is all about meaningful accidents. And so I think it's it's all about this idea of how do we somehow try to find meaning even in tough circumstances. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to talk a lot about serendipity. And we're also going to talk about accidents, because I think that's one of the most interesting things is people think luck, and they imagine someone who everything is going right for and just money's falling out of the sky and just everything goes right. But I think you're actually correct that luck is often a part of getting dealt a bad hand and figuring how to wait, make your way out of it. So I know that you mentioned this car accident. And for people who haven't read your book, could you just describe how this uh, very unlucky incident uh, set you on the path to be interested in this topic? Yeah. I mean, I used to be this extremely you know, adventurous teenager who tried to somehow push any boundary that was given to me. And you know, I was kicked out of school. I had to repeat a year. Um, probably held the unofficial world records of how many dustbins you can knock over on your way to school. And then uh, one day I wasn't so lucky anymore. I crashed into four parked cars, all completely uh, smashed, including my own. 
And, uh, you know, it was that moment where, and, and I actually, I still remember the policeman who came to the scene and it was like, oh my God, he's still alive. Uh, yeah. You know, this, this idea that I was supposed to be dead, that, that stuck with me and uh, that kind of, you know, set me on this intense search for meaning. And I, now looking back, uh, I, in a way, uh, are very indebted in this, to, towards this experience in the sense that I think to me it was a wake up call. And it was interesting. I had um, COVID last year in a severe form and, and it was a similar period where it was just like, wow, okay, life can be very short and we might as well, well live uh, a life that that's, that's worth living. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's those moments where I think the, it's like the brightness of life turns up a little bit. I, I recently had an accident and I was in the emergency room and I'm, I'm now okay, but it was, uh, yeah, in that moment, I was very aware that things felt extra real and my relationships and what I draw meaning from was, was even closer than when you're kind of in the normal routine and just going through the motions. Yeah. And I'm glad to hear you're okay. It sounds like it was quite a, quite an accident. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I I fractured my pelvis, but I've been, you know, everyone's asking me, like, how are you doing? And I just keep finding more and more silver linings. I'm I'm now doing physical therapy. And my physical therapist was like, Oh, you're actually pretty close to healed. So we don't have a lot to do. But I've had a, a weird issue with my shoulder that I never knew who to talk to about it. And I just on a whim said, actually, <laughs> since I have you here, what do you think about this? And she's like, Oh, we'll just we'll work on that then. And so now I'm getting treatment for a problem that I dealt with for a long time. And I only would have gotten this treatment if I'd gotten into an accident. So well, there, talk you about go. Serendipity. there we go. So let's talk about serendipity. So what is the difference between serendipity and luck? Well, it's interesting because, you know, usually when we think about luck, we think about this kind of thing that happens to us, right? Being born into a loving family, things that in a way we can't really influence that much. But actually serendipity is about smart luck. It's about the kind of things we can influence. And, you know, to give you an example, uh, if you have erratic hand movements like I do, imagine you're in a coffee shop and you spell uh, you spill a coffee over someone and uh, somehow you sense there might be some kind of connection. You don't know what it is, but you just sense, oh, there might be something there. And now you have two options, right? Option number one is you say, I'm so sorry. Here's a napkin. You walk outside and you think, ah, oh, what could have happened had I spoken with a person? And then option number two, you start a conversation and that person becomes the love of your life or your co-founder or, or, or something else. And the point here is that in a way, our reaction to the unexpected, our seeing something in the unexpected and then connecting the dots is essentially what created that kind of lucky outcome. And so it's really, serendipity is really about these unexpected positive outcomes that are based on our own proactive decisions. And there's a lot of dots in, in a day. There's all kinds of different events, which if they don't get connected, <laughs> then you forget about and they become meaningless. You You spilled coffee on a stranger, you apologize, they were slightly rude and that you know, hopefully doesn't keep you up at night worrying about um, how how you ruin their blouse. But what can we do to connect more of these dots? What is what is the the technique of of not just having these be random events that fade away? I, I'm a big fan of two things. One is the whole idea around creating more meaningful accidents, and then the other one is around making accidents more meaningful. And to give an example of both, so how how can we create more meaningful accidents? Fall down I, a lot. I, yeah, <laughs> just 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 fall on purpose, kind of like a pratfall, right? Yeah, and 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 that's you know, I mean, that's interesting because so if, if you know, I have this this wonderful friend in London, Ollie Barrett, and if you would ask him something like, you know, what do you do? This dreaded question that you hear at every 
conference and 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 so uh, he would not only say i'm a technology entrepreneur he would say something like i'm a technology entrepreneur recently started reading into the philosophy of science but what i'm really excited about is playing the piano and so what mm. he's doing here is he's casting three hooks where you could be like oh my god such a coincidence i recently started hosting piano matinees you should stop by Oh my God, such a coincidence. My sister is teaching the philosophy of science. You should give a guest lecture. The point here is that we can cast these hooks where we bring in our interests as kind of side notes or somehow seeded into conversations. And that in a way can create those moments where other people connect the dots for us. And, and that's really kind of, I'm fascinated by this because we can then use every interaction, every conversation, even with the uncle we really don't want to catch up with to see the couple of dots. And then unexpectedly, the next client referral might come from that because they didn't even know what you're interested in. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of that to, to create those, those meaningful accidents. But also more importantly, and you know, I think COVID was one of those reminders. The question is, how do we respond to unexpected moments? Like in this coffee shop example, and that's why I'm such a big fan of Viktor Frankl, because he had this beautiful philosophy around, look, we cannot always choose the situation we're in, but we can always choose our response to it. And, and that really defines our freedom, our growth, and our serendipity. And, and so it's really about saying, you know, take the example of Viagra, right, which is the kind of quintessential serendipity example, but up to 50% of inventions and innovations are serendipitous, but Viagra is the one, a uh, personal favorite, because I guess it's it's relevant to a lot of people around the world. And, you know, you're saying you're saying the invention of Viagra, not just the serendipitous act of taking a Viagra because you feel like it. And then suddenly an opportunity to use the Viagra presents itself. Exactly. Exactly. OK. OK. And, and, and so because uh, what know, was the deal? They, they made it. It was like they were trying to do something else as like a it wasn't a blood thinner, but they were trying to do something else. And then they were like, oh, this is a fun side effect. Exactly. Exactly. They were essentially a couple of researchers who were giving people medication against angina, uh, pectoris, the, mm -hmm. the disease. And then they realized, oh, my God, there's some kind of movement happening in male participants' trousers. And, you know, that is unexpected, right? And now, essentially, most people would probably say, oh, my God, that's embarrassing. Oh, my God, that's we should ignore this or we should mm -hmm. get rid of that side effect, right? They did the opposite. They said, you know what? That's unexpected. But there's a lot of men in the world who might have a problem in that department. So why don't we develop a medication around this. And this is how unexpectedly Viagra evolved because people were able to see something in the moment, to see something in the accident, and then to connect the dots towards something meaningful in this uh, case that a lot of men might have a particular problem. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, I'm imagining already like the world where they didn't do that. And there's just this heart medication that you get, you know, prescription ads when you're watching CNN and it says side effects may include powerful and long lasting erections. And you're like, that's an interesting, <laughs> that's an interesting side effect. Yeah. Um, but I think the thing that you said at first about the conversational topics is really fascinating. When I was first becoming a wizard, I had a day job at Squarespace and I got really tired of what do you do? I work at Squarespace. Oh, I built my website on Squarespace or, oh, I've heard their podcast ads. And those were like the two threads. And both of those were pretty much dead ends. Like it, it didn't really take a conversation very far. And when I started to become a wizard, I realized that I had another thing in my back pocket where I could choose. Do I want to go down those dead ends or do I want to say I'm a wizard and I'm afraid that they're going to have a bad reaction and be weirded out. But more often than not, someone would say, oh my God, that's amazing. My grandmother was psychic and would tell me stories about growing up with their grandmother in Appalachia who used to have visions and read tea leaves for people in the neighborhood. And I'm like, this is a way more interesting conversation. Yeah. So that's a very cool thought about how we can, um, 
I guess it's sort of like you, you put more out there, you get more out of it. Absolutely. And, and in a way also, by doing this, you allow other people to also go into areas they might usually you know, be a bit shy about, right? Because you're, you're giving them the license to be a little bit crazy as well, right? And I think that's the, the thing. I've realized this in terms of, um, you know, we, we, we set up a community uh, around 13 years ago called, called Sandbox. And that was all about saying, hey, look, in a way, everyone who's pushing boundaries in whatever field they are always seen as a bit crazier than others because people who are just kind of like working their normal jobs, they will see that as the normal thing to do. And so everyone who's pushing the boundaries is seen as a bit crazy. And so the question was, how can we create a home for people so that they don't feel crazy anymore? And, 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 and you know, I feel like what you're doing or what you've been doing intuitively is in a way you're also in, 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 in that way creating almost a home for people to say, you know what, maybe it isn't actually crazy. Maybe a lot of people, you know, I have a lot of friends, some of my smartest friends who, you know, will tell you a lot of uh, stories about witchcraft. They will have books at home, you know, that really dive into the magic of this. And 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 especially also how, you know, as a woman um, over, over centuries, right, men suppressed women and, and found mm-hmm. ways to kind of call them witches, but actually were just scared of that they might be a bit smarter than, than, than them. And so I think it's just fascinating to see how, in a way, what you've been doing is giving people a license also, right, to, to talk about these things. And I think that's, that's fantastic because that allows people then to really connect on other levels, right, rather than on the kind of small talkish type level. And I think that's what at the core of serendipity is a lot of times that we ask different types of questions, we, we allow people different types of conversations. And that's why I'm also, by the way, such a big fan of not asking things like, what do you do? But asking more, you know, what's on your mind or what inspired you about XYZ presentation? Really to understand a bit more what's the underlying motivations, what's really driving that person. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned you mentioned Sandbox. What is, what is that? That really was an experiment we did um, uh, some time ago where it was about saying, is there some way to accelerate serendipity? Is there some way to, in a way, if we bring together all these amazing people around the world who are pushing boundaries in different fields, designers, architects, um, social entrepreneurs, and who usually are connected in their own fields, but mindset-wise, they're much closer to each other. Like, can we create a home and, you know, can we bring them together and, and make them feel home and in, in that community? And so in a way, it's kind of a peer-to-peer incubation space. And um, what was fascinating is, you know, we didn't, um, you know, when we set it up, we didn't even know what serendipity is. But but then, like, you know, looking back after a few years, we, we essentially, like, realized, oh, my God, when you bring people together who have a common denominator, who have shared values but are very diverse in, 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 in their interests or what they're working on, that's where the magic happens. That's where you go to a dinner and people go like, oh my God, such a coincidence, such a coincidence, at least 10 times an evening. And I think that's yeah. um, in a way that was my first taste towards serendipity because in a way it made me realize, hey, there seem to be ways we can really cultivate this, not only for individuals, but actually for communities, for companies, for organizations. Well, I love that you said the word cultivate, because I think sometimes, I think all the time, constantly about, do we have ideas if you want to go from the traditional matter up 
perspective. Like our brains are firing neurons and we have ideas and that's a unique event happening in our head. Or are ideas something that exists out there in a form that's very alien to us and they're sort of looking for the right environment to land the same way that bacteria is looking around in your kitchen and saying, ah, there's some food that they left out. That's a great place to start growing. And it sounds like you basically created a, a Petri dish of interesting minds having interesting conversations, which is a great way to summon serendipity and increase the likelihood of those uh, dots firing off connections in new ways. And that's in a way, you know, when you look at different types of communities or organizations, I feel that's the fascinating thing about, and that's why I really like that you do these rituals, because in a way, one of the things we realized during that journey, but also, you know, in, in my other work, what, what I've realized is that a lot of times, if we give people excuses to connect differently, that's where the magic happens. And so, you mm -hmm. know, instead of asking when we host a dinner, like, hey, everyone introduce yourselves, like using your job description, um, you know, if it's about, hey, everyone, like share one thing you're going through at the moment. And what usually happens is everyone will say, I'm going through XYZ transition. And so what yeah. happens here is that people realize, oh, wow, actually, I'm not alone in my transitions, even if maybe one person goes through a transition because they had cancer and now they try to you know, figure out who they are, what their identity is. Someone else maybe just had their kids out of their house and they figure out who am I now. But the point is that we are all consistently in transitions, but in a way we don't really talk about it that much because we think it's such an idiosyncratic thing for us, what we're going through. But actually when we allow people to realize, oh, wow, the logic of a lot of these transitions is similar. It's about identity. It's about, you know, who, what is our role in the world? Those kind of questions. In a way, we allow people to connect differently on a much deeper level. And I feel like that's where not only meaningful connections happen, but that's where so much magic and serendipity happens because people feel, you know what? I actually want to connect the dots here. And I really want to go about it. And that's, I liked your example earlier, right? When you worked at, at, at this company and, you know, when someone just asks you, what do you do? And so on and so like, you don't have a lot of like incentive to really connect the dots, right? Because there's no real feeling for, hey, we're really connecting here versus if you would say, oh my God, like I'm going through this and this, you know, I'm I'm currently, you know, exploring XYZ superpowers. And then another person's like, oh my God, like I've, you know, I've, I've done this when my kids grew up, whatever it is, like that is where the real connection comes in and where we actually want to connect dots then. There's a, there's a book that was written, I, I think it was in the 70s, called Games People Play. And it talks about the idea of conversational games. So you could be playing the game of, oh, have you seen blank? Oh, I just went and I saw this movie. Oh, that movie's so good. Have you seen blank? Oh, I have or I haven't. Have you seen blank? And then you just go and you list movies that you may or may not have seen. And that's a very conver common conversational game. And I think what we're talking about here is the idea of playing more interesting games. I could, you know, I could walk around a party and basically play conversational rock, paper, scissors, and there's a winner, there's a loser, the game's quick, and it's not very fun. Or I could find a game like Tag, where it brings more people in, it's more interesting, it's more dynamic. And I think, I'm just going to lay some cards on the table here. I think what's really interesting right now is there's a more traditional approach to magic, which is you know, the occult and the history of what people were doing in the, in the Renaissance trying to summon angels and demons. But I think a lot of contemporary magic and what, you know, I consider wizardry is really fits in with, uh, you know, self-help and psychology and different ways to think about the games that you're playing and change them into a game that's more fun, which I feel is exactly what you're describing in terms of serendipity of saying, 
Um, if I'm going to a dinner party, I could go there on autopilot and just say the things I normally say, talk to whoever I'm sat next to, or I could go there with a secret mission of saying, ah, I'm going to learn as much as I can about people's siblings tonight. And that's my secret game that I'm just going to casually play and hope no one calls me out on, but that's how I'm going to find something more interesting. Or I mean, I'm sure there's a million other ways that you could dig into a, a, a dinner party and find rich veins of information that wouldn't be exposed if you just went through the motions. Yeah, and, and that's a fascinating perspective because that's really, when you think about it, that at the core of serendipity a lot of times is playfulness, right? And it is this idea of saying, hey, look, maybe there's more in this situation than I can even imagine that could be there, right? And and in a way, by, I think, you know, to your point, we can, you know, we can have secret kind of games in our mind or we can we can kind of somehow get 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 people to talk about something. I'm actually a big fan also of, of, of something along the lines, which is um, I try to, for example, every conversation I have to, I try to think about one connection. So I try to think about, can I introduce them to one person or can I, like, do I have one idea that I can contribute? Just kind of, can I make one connection mm. point? And by doing this, like even the most boring conversations potentially then in a way, you know, incentivize me internally to say, you know what, if this conversation is boring, that's that's mostly about me because I'm not asking the right questions here. Everyone intrinsically has interesting things to say, even the kind of, you know, accountant who sat in the basement for 50 years, like that person probably, you know, at some point had to cope with loss. And how did you go through loss? How did you do this? How did you cope with this? Like, there's there's always something interesting, but we usually don't ask the question that bring it out. And so we blame it on the other person. And I think um, that's why actually I'm a big fan of exactly what you just mentioned to really, in a way, in our mind, think about something. What is it tonight that I can do that is slightly different, right? In terms of like a small mm -hmm. behavioral change, asking one different question, making like, you know, giving oneself this task to like make one introduction per person, whatever it is. And and it's it's fascinating how such a small behavioral change completely changes how much we enjoy conversations, how much we connect with people and so on. And so I think playfulness is a great approach towards that. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite uh, personal mantras is to win the game you want to play, you'll have to lose by someone else's rules. And so there are people that want to, you know, want to stick to the topics of finance and what is your career at a dinner party and will be frustrated or flustered or just annoyed if you start trying to ask them, you know, if they could go on a date with any color, what color would you go on a date with? Like, that's a weird question. Someone might say, I don't want to answer that. I don't want to talk to you. I'm going to, I'm going to leave. But if you can get comfortable playing that game, you'll find the other players that are saying, ah, okay, that's the, you know, that's the part of the room that's decided to have a dance party. That seems more fun than what I'm doing. And they'll gravitate towards it. You know, it's interesting. It, it reminds me of, I've, I've had a wonderful conversation um, with a friend of mine about, you know, when you go into a room and the way of how you look at the room, let's say, you know, no one in the room, but you can sense the energy, right? And you can, like, he has this thing when he looks at people in a room, he sees green or red. And mm. when like green means good energy, kind of person I want to hang out with, red is like, yeah, you know what? could be great because everyone intrinsically can be a great person but you know what tonight i feel like i want to i want to talk with a green person and and to your point like the interesting thing is that 
in a way, I think what you just mentioned is a lot about saying, how do I identify the green people, right? How do I identify the people who are somehow connecting with me on a level that in a way makes the evening worthwhile for both of us, actually? And and I think it's interesting because in a way, I think that the usual human mechanism is that we think we have to fit in with everyone on this table. And like, we'd rather have 10 mediocre conversations than one amazing conversation. But I agree with you. It's almost like a, a filter, right? That if you... Like, depending on what one feels comfortable with, right? I think most people, including myself, we probably wouldn't feel comfortable going all out and and and, and kind of, you know, um, um, doing a, a, a real game directly with someone. But we would probably feel comfortable to ask a slightly different question at the beginning, right? And to just see who jumps on that question, who who of the people actually reacts to it. And, and you know, mm-hmm. being at a, pr- a question like, I don't know, what's on your mind or whatever it is, just as a kind of thing of seeing where, where where the other person's going with it. And then in a way, that's a nice filter also to see, okay, that's the kind of person I want to connect with versus maybe that's maybe not that's not necessarily the person I want to connect with. And I think, you know, we'll probably talk about this more, but I think one of the things that I found really fascinating, um, a lot of my work has been trying to understand how do people that have a lot of serendipity happen, not only what are the patterns behind this, but also how do you learn to not get distracted or how do you in a way allow serendipity to happen, but also to not be something that in a way drains you at some point, because once you start behavioral changes towards serendipity, it tends to happen all the time. And I think one of the beautiful filters is really this, right? To say, I don't have to talk with every person. I don't have to, you know, talk about every issue. I try to filter what I really want to talk about, but then also I ask questions in the way that these unexpected conversations come up where I can't even imagine what it could be. But by asking that question, I allow others to, to, to go into that direction. Absolutely. I, I love this green red idea because I think it's important to avoid blaming others. Then you give all your power away. If you think every time I go out, if I have a bad time, it's because of the people in the room, then you've given so much of your own power to influence. Just You've just let it go. But it's also very frustrating to try and connect with people that aren't really interested in connecting with you or just aren't really your vibe. And I I know that I will have experiences where I just find myself around a lot of red people for a while and I really start doubting myself. I start feeling down and then I'll suddenly meet like an extremely green person and we're having the best conversation. I feel so funny because they get my jokes and we're going back and forth. And it's just like, ah, it just gives me so much life and energy. And I think that's an interesting way is to approach the room and think, yeah, like what is a what are some opening moves that I can do to see the 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 lay of the land and to figure out where are the pockets of energy that I wanna that I wanna mingle with? Yeah, absolutely. And and one thing there, I also feel you know it's counterintuitive, but sometimes I feel the quote unquote um, not necessarily more established, but and and absolutely not older or more mature, but almost like the more senior person sometimes the more interesting, like, you know, intuitively we, we, we try to usually find people, I guess, who we sense are, you know, in, 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 in our kind of realm or in our, whatever it is. And and I remember, you know, when I was in the, in the, in the period where I was looking for jobs and, you know, I would intuitively gravitate towards people where I felt, okay, they're approximately on my level. But then what I realized is, you know what, actually the CEO person is the one who's most bored because everyone's just talking about the same stuff with them and nobody really, 
does anything you know that is a little bit outside of of what they're used to and so those people usually talk about hey how's your daughter um yeah the daughter is great this is great this is great and if you're the one person who comes to them and asks them a slightly different question has a slightly different conversation they are actually the ones who get most excited because they don't have to go through the rest of the room and pitch other people still they can just stand there and have the conversation with you and i think i i found that fascinating in terms of thinking about how i think a lot in life unfortunately for good or bad is is about you know um connecting with the right people and 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 really kind of in a way seeing um you know how to develop a, a network that is that is that is both meaningful but also in a way that can be helpful over time for for both people and i think in a way one thing that i found extremely fascinating about a, a serendipity approach is to say you know what let's really start directly when going into the room if the green person is the ceo of the ceo like that's the person we gravitate towards because that actually counterintuitively might be the person who will be most excited about that kind of approach. I love it. Yeah, I think that's the classic idea of, you know, the really attractive, the conventionally attractive person, either everyone's too intimidated to talk to them or they're just getting hit on and they often are hungry for a fun, engaging, unique conversation that's not um, so goal-oriented and predictable. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that like, I'm, I'm going to get outside. I'm, I'm so, this conversation is making me so hungry to be in a room full of people again, because it's been a, it's been a while because of COVID. Um, but I personally feel like it's hit or miss. Like I can go out and I can have the nights where I feel like I'm on, I'm super green. I'm meeting other green people. It's so fun. And then there's the nights where I go out and I keep trying to approach a conversation, but then I just like don't hit it at the right time and I end up standing next to them while they're having a conversation and then it's too awkward for me to like back away without saying anything, but I can't get in. And, you know, it just, it, it feels like a bad luck streak sometimes where I'm just like, ah, oh, like I'm just off my game. And I'm curious if you have any advice for the other side of serendipity of when you feel like you've fallen into a run of bad luck, what can you do to break that pattern and um, shake it off and get and get back into the serendipity flow? That's a great question. And, you know, in my mind, it goes into 20 different directions. I'll pick two for now, and then we'll probably talk about other directions later. But the one is, I think, comes into the direction of of, of accepting imperfection. And in the mm. sense of saying, you know, I similarly, like I, you know, I want my whole day to go well. I want every interaction to be great. I want, you know, I want all these things. And then, like, at some point, um, you know, uh, it's like, oh, hey, actually, you know what? Yeah, there will be bad days, and that's fine because that's actually part of 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 how life is, right? And 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 I find that extremely difficult because you know I come, I mean I come from Germany where you know we want to have plans, we want to know how things work, we want to like have things in order and and everything else, and then life happens and life you know a lot of times plays out differently, and 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 I think that's in a way why that that mindset has has helped me so much to to first study it and and also at the same time live it because. It's in a way saying, you know what, a lot of times in life, A, we will probably have to wing it. We can't know it all and we can't know exactly which conversation will exactly always work out and which one won't. And that's fine. And, and I think that kind of like idea of, of, of um, detaching in a way those kind of external events from self-worth, from, um, from, from, from anything that is somehow an overall judgment of the person um, I feel that's the most difficult part, right? And and I think one of the things that I've been fascinated by is in general when it comes to serendipity is to think about what are the what are our inherent psychological um 
not necessarily biases, but but really things that hold us back, right? Because um, I, I think, and we'll talk more about this probably when we talk about things like serendipity journals and so, um, but, but one of the things I think is that we all have some kind of an imposter in there probably. We all have probably some kind of fear of rejection and all these different types of things. And, and working on this is, is super interesting. And I think that comes to the second part uh, or the second point that um, I feel is, 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 is probably more actionable, which is to say, when sitting down, you know, let's say there's, there was this encounter that really didn't go well, like, and, and, and really sitting down and saying, you know, what was it about it? What was the pattern behind the last ones that didn't go well? And then what was the pattern behind those things that went well? And 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 more broadly, and that's um, what happens in the, in the serendipity journal if, if we talk about it, which is really to say, let's talk about it. Way. Let's just dive right in. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. because because the serendipity journal, in a way, is really about saying, at the end of the day, we a lot of times could have serendipity happen, but it didn't happen because something held us back. And so it's really about saying, what is it that held me back? And then really kind of thinking about the incidences in our life, you know, those coffee shop moments where we didn't act on it, those meetings where we didn't bring up the idea, all these kind of different things where something held us back and really trying to understand by writing it down, what is the pattern behind what held me back? And can I work on this deeper underlying psychological barrier that seemed to have been there, being it imposter syndrome, being it fear of rejection or, or something else? But then reversely and more importantly, also doing the same for what were those incidences where I had serendipity happen? What were those incidences where I did, you know, bring up that idea in the meeting that I serendipitously had and that then led to the expansion to Poland or mm-hmm. that kind of random encounter that led me to find my uh, husband or wife and, and those kind of things. And then what is the pattern behind this and how can I do more of this? And I think once we do this in a way, we identify those kind of small behavioral patterns that we have ourselves that we can tweak that we can change and that's really a lot of the work that we've been focusing on to say how do we essentially tweak those small behavioral things rather than saying oh my god like you have to completely change your mindset and you have to change everything no let's do it step by step and really kind of you know tweak those behavioral things and then after and after you have it happen more and more and then it almost becomes an automatism yeah that's fascinating because I think that's where so many of us get stuck. And I can, I can speak by myself very personally is that when you focus on the outcome, it feels so daunting. It's like, Oh, I went out last night and I wanted to talk to people and I didn't really have any good conversations. And I'm just frustrated by the bad luck of the situation as opposed to going and saying, all right, what is the, what is the one thing where I felt restrained and how can I just work on that? So the next time I'm going out, I'm not worried about, the outcome, I'm worried about just getting those reps on that small muscle of, ah, it was a good night. I started 10 conversations with strangers. None of them led anywhere, but I still like practiced walking up and saying hello and and working that muscle. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's exactly the the approach, right? In terms of really saying both A, that the reframing of saying, you know what, maybe actually it was, you know, great that there was no real conversation happened because actually tomorrow morning I really had to get stuff done and like this gave me the additional half an hour that it would have taken if I would have had a great conversation and would have you know had beer until two o'clock at night or whatever it is like there's always something I guess in those situations that um, that, that actually can be reframed but more importantly um, and I think that's really the interesting thing uh, about serendipity and, and I guess life more broadly that a lot of times bad luck actually is the start of at some point, good luck happening. Mm. 
And, mm-hmm. and that's really what I'm fascinated by in terms of the incubation time of serendipity, right? It's not just those moments where it's like, Eureka, in this moment, this and this happened. But a lot of times it's really kind of a moment of bad luck, right? Being at a car accident, being at, um, like in the Viagra example, like something that goes wrong. And a lot of times we might then think, oh my God, that situation really bad. And then at some point you connect the dots and you're like, you know what, actually, maybe, maybe there, there is something good in there. And, you know, I felt that in my own life, you know, with breakups, for example, right? In the moment, a breakup feels terrible. Oh, yeah. Then, you know, now being like happily married with the woman I love, right? I'm like, oh, wow, like this is actually, thank you for these older breakups. And thank you that those allowed the serendipity of, of having met her in a very serendipitous way. And and so it's it's really something where, at the end of the day, um, you know, bad luck in the moment, um, in a way detaching from this and saying, you know what, actually, let's see, maybe this could also be the start of something really great in the long run. And and, and I think this is really going back to the Viktor Frankl thing that it is our response to it. Like a, a situation is not inherently bad or good. It's it's our interpretation of it. Well, it's it's in a magical model, you're often thinking about like, what do I desire? What do I want to manifest? What do I want to happen? And then you're trying to phrase that. And when people start with magic, I think they they get very specific. They'll say, I have a crush on this person. I want that person to go out with me. And then you start to get into what I call the monkey's paw phenomenon, where your wish comes true, but it's not what you wanted it to be and you have a bad time. So you got what you wanted and then it was not great. And I think most magicians that I know over time start to learn to trust whether you want to call it serendipity or the universe or some specific magical deity, but sort of trusting the powers to you give them the suggestion and then they work it into what they're going to bring you. So instead of saying, I want this specific person or I want this kind of car, like I want to meet a person who is right for me in this time in my life right now, or I want the job that is going to be important for me in this next stage of growth. And maybe the job you think you really want, you're going to get to the final round of interviews and then not get it. But then you get bummed and then you decide to go on that road trip with your buddy who's getting married. And then when you're at that bar in Richmond, Virginia, you talk to the person who gives you the idea that then leads you to apply for the other job, which then 10 years later, you're like, oh, this is the best job I've ever had. And so it's all about, I think, trusting that process and that those initial things are not what they see. The good thing can be hiding something bad and the bad thing can be the gateway to, to worlds of wonder. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny you say that. It's actually the way I, I, I met my, my partner was exactly this. She literally made a list of the relationship attributes that she was looking for. And, and really kind of, and, and funny enough, you know, we had this whole, uh, we realized then at some point, because we had been friends for 10 years, uh, and we serendipitously met, but we never had any kind of, you know, love interest. Yeah. And then uh, she came out of a heavy breakup. I, you know, was in this kind of period of of being ready, but but not really, you know, being just ready and and, and there. And you know, it was fascinating. She she actually we for for some serendipitous reason we came to the topic of you know what are we looking in in a partnership? And she was like, hey, look, like I I made a list in the morning, like. And, and, and I was like, what do you mean? Like, like read the list to me. I want to hear it. She was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to share it. I don't want to share it. And so somehow, um, um, you know, she, she ended up sharing it. And, and I was like, wow, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And so in, in a way, in that moment, it was like, wow, like, actually, let me look at this person slightly differently. Maybe that is actually what I've been looking for right in front of my eyes. It is, but I, I wasn't even aware that it is. And, and so long story short, I think, to your point, there's, there's those moments where, in a way, we 
realize maybe only over time or or else that 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 you know those kind of things can happen there's two fascinating thoughts buried in what you just said that I want to I want to pull out one is I think the value of patience if I have learned anything in my time as a wizard it's that things happen at their own pace and you can you you want to stay mindful and focused on them but you also want to let them have space to grow and I think I used to, you know, if I was going to go out and try and meet people, I wanted to meet someone that night. I wanted it to be, you know, I wanted to hook up with somebody or I wanted to like, you know, have a real strong connection. And when I gave up on that and just was like, I'll just be generally friendly (laughs) and then realize that someone that I just said two words to one time, I'm going to bump into a month later and they recognize me and we talk again. And then four months later, I run in and they invite me to sit with their friends. And that's when I really formed that friendship. And it wouldn't have worked if I tried to push it into the first night that I met them. And I think that is a very important part. Not, um, it's not passiveness, but it's, it's just patience of, of waiting for these things to find you. And then the other one is like reframing, I guess I would call it. You have this relationship and they were somewhere in your brain labeled as friend. And then you had this experience which pulled that label back and you were able to see them as a full person full of infinite possibility and say, ah, wait a minute. That's actually not the label that I want to put on it anymore. I'm open to new labels on this relationship that I have with this person. Absolutely. And I think the patience one is, is, is really interesting because it's something that when you think about even the hook strategy we talked about, right, that goes into a similar direction of saying, if you, you know, whatever it is, it can be on, you know, on the on the love side, on the dating side, but also it can be, you know, if you have a business project and you pitch that to people, if you're pitching people, the reaction most probably will be negative, right? Because you're trying mm-hmm. to push something on someone. But if you're saying, you know what, I want to have a, a, a nice conversation with this person, and then I want to see the couple of things and see what the other person actually want to pick up. And like, we go at their pace. And I think that is something where, you know, in a way, trusting that process also to say, you know what, if I'm trying to push my agenda here at my pace, it will anyways not work in, in, in almost no area in life, unless you, you know, are a formidable, uh, charismatic, um, you know, person who, who gets everything they want, it will most probably not work to just push stuff on people. And so in a way, it's really that, that stepping back and saying, you know what, let me, in a way, see it as much as I can, but then also I need to allow the other person to pick that up at their pace. On if they don't pick it up, that's fine. Then, then maybe that's that's it. And that's really the the, the trusting the process piece as well. Um, and 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 the second element is is also really interesting because it's so much about. Um, so a lot of my work is in very resource constrained environments, so especially in sub-Saharan Africa, where you know people don't have any resources at all. And so, you know, we talk about COVID and budget cuts and all these things. But, you know, if you grew up in a context where you never had anything, by definition, you you don't have a budget or something, right? And so there's mm-hmm. this amazing organization I've been working with called Reconstructed Living Labs. And so, you know, it's people who had a really tough life. They came out of the Cape Flats in Cape Town, which essentially, you know, very crime-ridden and a very like tough community to grow up in. And they said, you know what? We don't have a lot of resources, but why don't we use what we have here at hand already? Why don't we try to reframe it away from we need resources to we already have, you know, we have a social media kind of we have a we have a a computer here. How can we use social media to build a business? And then we go into other communities and essentially instead of asking people, what do you need? 
we ask them what is already here and how can we make the best out of it and then you know you look at an old garage and you see a training center you look at a former drug dealer and you see someone who could be a teacher who has amazing social capital who if they would be turned into a teacher would legitimize that across the whole community because they are the the, the tough guy who essentially you know le just legitimize that it's cool to have an education and so the point here is that that reframing away from resource constraints and this doesn't work and i'm powerless and all these different things to hey actually there's something i can do and i use that example because that is the toughest context like that we can imagine and you know that is context where we at the same time have to work, you know, government and, and organizations to really, in a way, remove structural constraints. And I think that is something that has to go hand in hand with mindset. And at the same time, if someone in this context can do it, we also can do that in our context. And I think that is really something where um, I've been fascinated by this, this, the power of reframing to really say, once I look at an event and don't say I need to buy 10 chairs because I need 10 chairs, but I look at it and say, oh, great. I need 10 chairs. The restaurant next door is closed at the time when we're hosting the event. Uh, I will borrow the chairs from them and bring them back. Then essentially serendipity starts to happen because we're connecting the dots very differently. Necessity is the mother of invention, right? Mm -hmm. Like when, yeah, I think that's what you see in so many places where it's actually, I think so little innovation comes out of the most affluent areas where everyone can just have the thing they need. I mean, hip hop was born from people using records in new ways to create a beat that they could then talk over at parties that were thrown, you know, block parties in the Bronx. Like there's always new possibilities and different combinations of things. And it seems kind of like what we're getting at is this idea of slowly, we're not talking about an instant, suddenly you're going to become the most charismatic person who probably in reality is just a, a tall white man who talks over everybody. But um, it's, it's more about, dissolving those boundaries that are holding you back that voice that says no 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 don't go bug those people and ask for those chairs that's 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 rude or or don't try this thing everyone's not going to like it dissolving those boundaries and being more open to experimentation and looking at things differently and and trying to turn things on their heads and see what else is possible how else can i use this in a new way exactly and and really questioning assumptions right i feel like we, we have all these assumptions. We have all these assumptions that the restaurant next door would never want to give it to us. But actually, maybe that's, you know, a nice excuse to actually finally connect with a nice neighbor, right? And, and maybe that's the reason you become friends in the end, because actually, they're very excited to support your event because they could actually deliver the food, right? And, and you know, there, there, there's all these different things that then coincidentally emerge once we, in a way, question our traditional approach and our kind of functional fixedness, which is, I know exactly how something works. Uh, you know, uh, this whole idea of like when you when you have a hammer, you um, you know you will always um, um, look for the hammer when you have when you need a nail into the wall. But actually, yeah, yeah, every, everything's a nail when you have a hammer. Yeah, exactly. And every any heavy object you can use. And so it's kind of in a way really saying how do we get away from that functional fixedness and and rather uh, in a way uh, do that differently. And I've been so like you know always fascinated by. Um, you know, if you think about something like mobile banking, like those kind of really interesting things, they don't come out of the West, right? They come out mm. of India. They come out of, in this case, they come out of Kenya. But, you know, because if you if you live in a village and you don't have an ATM machine, you don't think yep. about how can I improve the ATM machine, right? You think about how can I use my phone that I have here and get the money from A to B on, great, okay, maybe I can text the money. And that's how kind of, you know, 
uh, something like this emerges versus in the West, we're thinking about step by step, like let's improve this, let's improve this, because we are in this functional fixedness that we need an ATM versus just questioning, do we need ATMs at all? And I think that's really um, in our own minds as well, that we have this kind of, in a way, that a certain box that, 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 that we take as a given, even though actually it isn't. Um, and that's the fascinating thing about COVID, right? That in a way, I think it questioned so many assumptions we took for granted um, that in a way it increases anxiety so much because it's the first time that in a way there's something unexpected happening that questions almost all assumptions. Um, but I think in general, and, and why I'm so excited about um, the idea of a serendipity mindset is to say, hey, at the end of the day, when we see uncertainty also as a potential ally rather than just a threat, actually then we get away from seeing it just as anxiety enhancing towards, oh, wow, there could be potentiality in, in all of this. I think of two poles of, of one is pattern and the other is possibility. And if you're at the extreme of pattern, everything is the exact same. There's nothing new. It's just, you know, repeating, 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 and it's awful. But if you're at the extreme of possibility, there's nothing to hold on to. There's nothing stable. It's like, you know, being in a schizophrenic dream state where you can't make sense of anything because it's all new. It's all different. There's nothing to, to grab. And, what I think COVID did at a massive scale, because I've experienced it in my personal life, I've had you know parents die, I've had weird injuries and diseases and things where, ah, I thought this was what my summer was going to be like, and now it's not. Now it's going in a different direction. But it was fascinating to watch literally the entire globe and all of the systems within it have their pattern disrupted, have a huge injection of possibility, which unfortunately has come with a very high human toll, but also has just woken people up from business as usual and just change the landscape everywhere you look at it. Absolutely. And, and you know, to your point, I think it's it's been such an intense event that in a way it's almost a collective near-death experience, no? where in a way, I mean, I've similarly, I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear about your family and, and friends. Um, and, and similarly, I mean, I was in New York during that time. We had hospital tents in Central Park because the hospitals mm -hmm. were full. Yeah, and, no, I was there too. Yeah, it was it was gnarly. It, it it was really crazy, and 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 I think it's again those kind of times where it's 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 heavy, and 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 you know, I really found it interesting. Your your um the, the pattern versus was it potentiality or or a possibility pattern and possibility. Mm -hmm. I find it fascinating because you know. In a way, that's one of the fascinating things about cultivating serendipity has always been to say, how do we get beyond paradox to, in a way, a kind of balanced ambiguity in the sense or a, a kind of balanced uh, a dynamic balance, um, you know, where like previously we maybe thought it's planning versus the unexpected. And so when the unexpected mm. happens, our plans fall through, right? So in a way, um, it, the one was versus the other. And, and um, I think that the, the, what I've been fascinated by is the question of how do we, in a way, make the unexpected part of the plan? So how do, how do we understand patterns that, in a way, allow us to have the unexpected as an ally? To give you an example, um, you know, the COVID response of different states or different countries, I found it fascinating because you could see the kind of old school leadership style versus the new school leadership style where, you know, the old school style is to say, I, as the strong governor, I'm saying that we will open up the whole state exactly on May 15th, and then we will do everything, and this is my exact timetable and my exact plan. Now, whenever they learn new information about, hey, it's too risky or something else, they either now have an incentive to hide it, or they look really weak if they have to adjust their timetable. 
versus right. like the new school leadership would be to say, hey, actually, you know what? Our big principles are public health, economic health. Our approximate timetable is here, but we're telling you already that based on those two principles, we will adjust the timetable based on new information that comes in. Now, when you adjust the timetable, you can tell people, you know what, that's what I always told you. And that actually builds additional trust because you are consistent and coherent in your approach to it. And I think, you know, I've seen that a lot in, in our work, especially with, with companies, but also individuals that those individuals who are in a way realistic that they can say, you know what, here's my sense of direction. Here's where I'm going. I want to end up approximately here. But I'm also open that sometimes the path might change how I get there. Or sometimes even the the, the, the outcome itself might change. That that are actually the ones who are consistently cultivating serendipity because it becomes part of the plan. Versus the other ones, it, it becomes really like an anxiety-enhancing exercise. Yeah, I, I think about that if you go out with a group of friends and you're like, oh, we, we had said that we want to go get dinner at this restaurant. Let's walk there. And then on the way, you run into people and they're saying, come up on a rooftop garden and have dinner with us. And there are some people who say, yes, like the direction was to go have dinner with friends. This is the right direction. Let's go here. And then there's this these literal people who are saying, no, but it's the restaurant we're going to. That's the plan. The restaurant at eight o'clock. Like that's mm-hmm. and those people I think end up closed because they're seeing it's like they're looking at their watch and their calendar the whole time and they're not seeing the world around them. And that brings me to a question I've been dying to ask you. Um, You talk about this study with a coffee shop and a $5 bill outside and people that were pulled in advance that rated themselves as lucky were much more likely to see the $5 bill on the ground and pick it up than people who were unlucky. Now I was riding around the subways of New York dressed as a wizard I'm pretty obvious as a wizard. I've, I've got a, a, a tall pointy hat. I'm wearing green and gold robes. I've got a beard. I look like a wizard. I have a sign that says wizard. Like it's, it's pretty hard to miss, you'd think. But I constantly saw people walk right past me and not observe me. And I could tell the difference. I could tell when someone saw me and said, I'm in, I'm in New Yorker. I don't want to deal with this guy. And they just walked past. But I saw people who literally I was not in their reality. And I'm curious if you can explain, like, is there is there a neuroscience explanation? Like, what is happening to those people where the reality has constricted so much that they can't even see the $5 bill on the ground or the wizard on the subway next to them? Yeah, that's a great question. And 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 maybe, um, you know, in terms of context, I mean, the 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 uh, for for everyone who's listening uh great to meet everyone by the way i hope we'll get to connect in real life at some point um and and, and the context really was that experiment was about saying hey you have one person who self-identifies as very unlucky so someone who says bad things always happen to me and then someone who self-identifies as very lucky so someone who says good things tend to happen to me and they tell both people walk down the street go into the coffee shop order a coffee and sit down and then we'll have the interview what they don't tell them is that there's hidden cameras uh, along the street and inside the coffee shop. There's a five pound note in front of the coffee shop. And inside the coffee shop, there's this one seat that's empty next to this extremely successful businessman who can make big ideas happen. Now, the lucky person walks down the street, sees the five pound note, to, to your point, uh, sees it, picks it up, goes inside, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman, has a conversation, they exchange business cards, potential opportunity coming out of it. We don't know that part. The unlucky person walks down the street, steps over the five-pound note so doesn't see it, goes mm-hmm. inside, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman, ignores the businessman, and does that. Now, at the end of the day, they you know 
like ask both people, how was your day today? And so the lucky person says, well, it was amazing. I found money in the street, made a new friend and, you know, potentially an opportunity coming out of it. Now, the unlucky person just says, well, nothing really happened. And that's really to your example just now, that idea and, 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 and the, re the, the way we've been relating it to, um, to, to the idea of, you know, asking someone, do you consider yourself to be lucky is, is, is literally once you expect that something is possible, you start to see it more, right? So if, if mm -hmm. I expect the conversation to go well, it tends to go better because actually I am almost, it's not necessarily manifesting it, but I'm, I'm literally, you know, coming to the situation from a different perspective. And so I would first and foremost um, put that actually on a, on a kind of psychological level in terms of saying, what do we expect to happen? And uh, it's not necessarily a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it's almost like a, a thing where whatever we think will happen a lot of times might happen because we channel our energy differently, we channel our attention differently, and, and so on. And, you know, I had a conversation yesterday, and not, sorry, not yesterday, a few days ago with um, a gentleman who set up a wonderful podcast. And, um, you know, the podcast idea essentially came, he changed one street to work. Uh, he went one different street to work, and he saw in the window a book that had a title where he was like, oh, wow, people haven't talked about this since decades. Like maybe there's a relevance to today's time. And that's how the idea for the podcast came about. And 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 the point here was that hadn't he had his eyes open, he hadn't made that connection mm -hmm. and he hadn't done that podcast. And so I think that is really how do we channel attention? Do we expect something unlikely that could happen that could be good um, and really going towards that? So I think to, to me, that's mostly a psychological question also in the sense of, um, there's there's all these different, um, highly recommend checking out the birthday paradox, which is fascinating. But this idea that because we expect things to go in certain ways, our attention then is not there, right? So if I'm the kind of person in New York who expects that most people will be annoying, that most people will be begging or whatever it is, right, right. I have a certain idea of what happens, right? I will try to ignore everything and I will be so much in my world versus if I expect that I could run into an amazing wizard who then makes all my dreams happen and, and gives me a magic spell that changes my life, like then, you know, those things tend to happen more often. Amen. Now, I know that a lot of the book talks about how we can cultivate a, a serendipity mindset for ourselves, but I'm curious, what can we do for other people? If we have someone in our life who feels like they are chronically unlucky or just kind of, you know, like we said, like they're stepping over the $5 bills everywhere they go, aside from buying them a copy of your book and forcing them to read it, what what can we do to help these people break out of those that that identifying with the bad luck and to experience more of the serendipity? Yeah, it's a great question. And also, you know, I feel more broadly in terms of, I think a lot of people who might be around us, we might be aware that they might need it, but they might not be aware themselves, right? And, yeah. and then we can't just push it on them, right? If, if you go to someone and say, hey, take this new mindset and then you will have a lot of luck, they'll say, look, like either I don't need it or I don't believe this works and, and things like this. Versus one thing, so I've had this uh, experience actually with a colleague of mine um, in London. Um, you know, he's this wonderful, wonderful intellectual who, you know, he achieved a lot of things in life. And um, I, when I started writing the book, I, I came to him and I was like, hey, look, like serendipity this and, 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 and so on and so on. He was like, look, Christian, I really like you. I really love this whole idea. But you know what? I don't need it in my life because I have enough, like I have a good life. I don't need that. I don't need serendipity in my life. And so we made a deal. We essentially said, you know what? For a couple of weeks, 
like for every conversation you have with people who you think you know really well, you know, being that your sister-in-law, being that, you know, the kind of people you interact all the time with, ask one different question. Or when you go to the coffee shop and you speak with the barista, instead of just asking, yeah, how do you do? Yeah, good. How do you do? Um, you ask one slightly different one. You ask something, you know, you notice something that they've been doing and you ask them, well, hey, how come that you do this coffee this way? And they will tell you about, oh my God, yeah, I learned this from my grandfather who used to own XYZ and who now does this. And then, oh my God, um, XYZ coincidence comes out of it. The point here is that after a few weeks, he comes back to me and he's like, Christian, I didn't know life can be so joyful. And I... And, and, you know, to me, this was really um, a case study of how I've seen it work um, um, in terms of saying it's not about, you know, the big mindset directly. It's about small behavioral shifts where people start one small thing, maybe gamify a little bit to your point, right? Make a deal with the other person to say, you know what, let's make the deal every day in one conversation. You will connect like you know, you will make one introduction or you will think about one thing, how it relates to another idea, whatever it is, something that, that makes the other person slightly reframe their daily conversations. And then once they see, oh my God, like now the routine meeting actually gets fun or, oh my God, now this uncle that I didn't really like, like actually he seems to be a decent person, those kind of things, you know, then also we realize it's not only about serendipity in itself, right? Serendipity is beautiful and it's wonderful when it happens. But also a serendipity mindset is a lot about saying, how do I build meaningful relationships? And mm -hmm. you know, I had a, um, a one, one of the people who, um, who, who, who um, wrote me after, after the, 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 the content was published, um, she literally said, look, like I, I am a, a, a single mother at home and I was um, essentially never really connected with my autistic son. And this now has been an approach to, in a way, find something that we have in common and really kind of then develop a completely different relationship with him. And I think that's really what is what a serendipity mindset is about, to say, how do we see potentiality in our relationships? How do we see potentiality in every moment? And then essentially, you know, depending on our life situation, um, allow this in a way to, to improve our life. I love it so much, and it's 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 really serendipitous how much overlap there is in our, our our two approaches. Because one of my my slogans or philosophies, whatever you want to call it, is this idea of slightly better. Like, how do we make a slightly better reality? Right. I think every guru and person out there is trying to sell you on the idea of overnight rapid transformational change, but really, it's those small shifts that start to open everything up and allow you to realize that when you aim for something small, it's so doable. And then that gets you excited to do more. And then suddenly you're, you're not where you started anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and then, you know, you do that a couple of times and then you look back and you're like, Oh my God, now I'm connecting the dots at hindsight. And I realize, wow, actually a real transformation happened because I did 20 of these shifts. Right. And, and that's really the beauty yep. of it in terms of that, that, that those small changes add up. Right. And, and then, um, uh, I think that's especially when you think about, you know, those kind of a couple of the practices we talk about or, or other practices as well, that when you do that and when you start seeing some of it, you, you, it becomes a habit, right? And you don't have to force yourself anymore to think about these things. And because of that habit, then it tends to happen more and more. And so it's almost like a, a cumulative effect of, of those kind of changes. Yeah. I, I like when I was meeting people on the subway, I always like to tell them, you can think of your life as this line graph and I'm giving you an opportunity by meeting a wizard to put a dot on that line graph and then you can change the trajectory. And then for the rest of your life, you can trace that upward trend and go, ah, 
there I was cruising along on a flat plateau and I met this wizard and then I did this one thing different and then therefore, and then they have their their anchor to, to build the rest of the story out that they could tell at any dinner party they want to in the future of, well, it all goes back to the time I met a wizard on a train. <laughs> exactly, um, exactly. So we're coming to the end and we're now going to do one of my favorite parts of the, the ritual, which is coming up with a spell. And so we, I feel like, have already packed so many awesome ideas and little things that people can do into this episode already. But what I would love to do is have you suggest one little takeaway action. Like if someone listened to this and they were going to do just one thing, what would it be? And then I'll help make that even more magical by making it more pointlessly complicated, but it'll be, it'll be fun. So we'll, we'll, we'll get some like magical dust on top. But if there was just one thing that someone listened to this podcast was going to do, what would what would the exercise or, or little activity be that you'd suggest? Well, I would say find something meaningful in your life that you would love to do. So, for example, you know, in my case, I feel the content was serendipity. I want to get into as many curriculum as possible around the mm-hmm. world, uh, and 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 then essentially try to seed that into almost every conversation in some way, and 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 really kind of cast that one hook and and see what happens, and and be surprised how many people might actually pick up on it. Um, because it essentially, you know, all the interactions you have, if you do that a couple of times, um, it actually is very probable that someone will pick up on it. Um, so it's really kind of write down one, two, three, probably three uh, kind of interests or something that you, you'd love to explore and try to build that into almost every conversation. Awesome. Now I'm going to magicify it if that's okay with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so take these three things that you've written down, these interests, and boil each one down to a magic word. So obviously Christian has found serendipity, which is his word. I found wizard, but you know, don't overthink it. Have three that are fun things and have a word for each. And then you're going to write these down, you know, on an, on an index card, something, you know, you could make some balloon letters, make it a little fancy and set it somewhere where you can see it. Maybe on an altar, maybe on your desk, maybe pinned to the door when you're going out and just start to build a relationship with those magic words. So it's about, that word, which exists as an idea in language and an idea space, working itself through you into conversation. So every time that you have a conversation where you bring that up or every time where you see that word on a sign or an ad or something, you know, passing by on a bus, that's you and that word developing a deeper and deeper relationship and drawing more and more meaning and connection. And so, yeah, just go out into the world and you don't need to awkwardly you know start every conversation by jumping down someone's throat and saying what do you think about this topic but you can just start sprinkling that word and give yourself a little pat on the back every time you offer it to someone in conversation and get their take on it and continue to sort of grow your relationship with those magic words how does that sound christian wonderful and wonderful i really you know i'd be i'd be thrilled to hear i mean if readers try it out i mean please do send us your updates i'd love to hear how that spell worked out it sounds like a beautiful spell absolutely yeah send send it in if you if you have it we'll um i'll i'll, I'll have the wizard hotline for you to call as well <laughs> and uh yeah we'll, we'll maybe do some stories about that and i'm sure i would love to have you on again christian because this was such a delightful chat and i feel like there's so much more magic to be explored Absolutely. And thank you so much for yeah the wonderful conversation, the wonderful questions. You're very welcome. For more of Dr. Bush's magic, visit theserendipitymindset.com or pick up the book wherever it is that you purchase books. And for more of the magic of this podcast as a ritual, I actually just want to take a moment to talk about how magical this moment is. 
This was a suggestion from Jason, who I first learned about when one of his friends asked me to do a session for his birthday, which led to the How to Turn 30 episode of this podcast. And I just love the way that we're now rotating around and affecting each other's reality by continuing to offer suggestions and interact through the magic of this ritual, which is, after all, the whole point of this ritual. So I'm not trying to plug the financial aspect of the Patreon, but I just want to plug the community aspect of, hey, it was awesome to get a tip on a great guest and then have such a wonderful conversation, which Christian and I very much enjoyed, and I'm sure is going to lead to much more serendipity for you all down the road. So thank you all for tuning in. I hope you have a lucky day and an even more magical night.